0: This episode is brought to you by Bank of America. Hey, everyone, and welcome to The Secret Sauce, a podcast filled with surprising tips for entrepreneurs and small business owners. I'm June Thomas. So what are we doing here exactly? Well, we raided the audio vaults of Slate's hit shows, and today we're bringing you treasures from How To and Working. I'm lucky to be one of the hosts of Working, where we dive deep into the creative process and hear how people turn their passions into livelihoods. And I'm a super fan of How To, which takes on listeners' toughest problems and then seeks help from some very qualified experts. There's great material ahead. Let's get started. Try to think back to the last time you took a really big leap. For me, it was in 2022 when I left my full-time job and moved from New York to Scotland so that I could focus on writing a book. Well, for entrepreneurs, especially those just starting out, giant scary leaps are an everyday occurrence. And there's one hurdle a lot of them face in the early days of building their business, the struggle to stick with an untested idea. Maintaining that faith even when advisors and potential investors tell them the concept is fundamentally different from how an industry works.
1: A classic example is Airbnb.
0: That's Guy Raz. He's interviewed hundreds of entrepreneurs for his own hit podcast, How I Built This. On How To, Guy shared this story about startup founders who flipped the hotel industry on its head. Here's how they did it.
1: In 2008, Joe Gebbia, Brian Chesky went to 20 investors. They heard back from five, two agreed to have coffee with them, zero invested. Because the question that they were asked was, who in the hell is going to stay at a stranger's house? How is that ever going to work? I mean, Airbnb is the single biggest disruption to the hotel industry in modern history. Before the pandemic, when people were still staying in hotels, on any given night, more people were staying in an Airbnb than the top five hotel chains combined in the world. But essentially, at the beginning, I mean, everybody told them they were not. So every big idea, every disruptive idea is going to have tons and tons of pushback. In fact, Joe Gebby of Airbnb says, if your idea doesn't make people uncomfortable, then it's possible that your idea actually isn't yet good enough. So... When people do push back, when people do say that's impossible, you might be onto something.
0: I love the simplicity of that. You might be onto something. And that's our first tip. When there's pushback around your business concept, don't feel defeated. Take it as a positive sign. This just might be the idea that's worth keeping alive. All right, so we're onto something. How do we keep it going? What do we need to stoke this fire? Turns out a team of fight choreographers has a fascinating approach to this.
2: Martial Club is a martial arts filmmaking group dedicated to promoting the virtues and ethics of martial arts and making it relevant to the world. Daniel Ma is one of Martial Club's three co-founders. Ever since uh, we started gaining traction on the internet, we kind of developed a family around us. Today, Marshall Club is best known for their fight choreography for the movie Everything Everywhere
0: All at Once. The film's fight scenes are mash-ups that defy category, elegant, fierce, and often downright wacky. These scenes were a key ingredient to the movie's critical box office and Oscar-winning success. Marshall Club's own path to success had a longer timeline.
2: It started about 10 years back. We started off as uh, three dreamers, really. Martial artists who uh, had an affinity for playing with cameras we decided to train together. Andy asked me, would you want to film shapes? Referring to like traditional Kung Fu on film, because that's a a style of action that wasn't really common anymore. So we started filming together, doing test fights, and eventually we got a little more uh, creative, a little more polished with our videos, started posting those online. And over the years, traction started to build and build and build, and um, we realized that we had a dynamic amongst each other.
0: For years, Marshall Club workshopped and refined its choreography on YouTube. The trio committed to staying visible while evolving and growing. And honestly, being goofballs too.
1: Yo man, I got you!
3: Dude! What was that for? You fucking left me just now! Hey guys, a little help?
0: They were not perfectionists, and they didn't hide themselves away to figure out their best moves. Marshall Club recorded their experiments, put it all out there and slowly built a following. That consistent visibility allowed folks to discover them and eventually hire them. Like the Daniels, the directors of Everything Everywhere All at Once. And that's our second tip. When you're constructing a livelihood out of your creative passion, take the time and care to workshop and don't be afraid to show that full evolution publicly it can really pay off all right so you've made the leap you've started the business you've put the time in to refine your product but tricky workplace dynamics inevitably bubble up it's something how to explored when they got this listener question what do you do when your partner in life becomes your boss at work
4: If I miss a day of work, I have to email him the paperwork. If I'm going to be out of my office, then he's the one that gets notified that my faculty evaluations go to him. It's really gotten more interconnected in Mm. ways I did not expect.
0: To help this listener, How To turned to Carly Roney, co-founder of The Knot, the
4: go-to site for wedding planning. I managed all the content and creative side of things. David managed the finance and technology. Our partners managed advertising or different areas of the business. It's okay to struggle with the power imbalance
0: in a relationship, and it took a while for Carly to figure it all out with her husband, David.
4: But as the business grew, it became just very clear that we needed a traditional hierarchical structure. Here's Amanda
0: Ripley, one of the hosts of How To.
4: So it was decided that David would take the top spot. It's awkward. It's changed a lot of things in your life. Did you have a, like a clear line? Like, we don't talk about work at home. Is that where you ended up? It took us about 10 years. Yeah. Um, mostly because it was so heated. It was so stressful. Every day was filled with intense drama. And we looked at each other at one point and looked at our kids who were like deers caught in headlights as we're like fighting at the table about Mm. something and thought like, wow, this is just simply not worth it. What are we doing? Mm. We turned to ourselves and said, wait, we keep acting like the business is the most important thing, but I think our relationship has to be the most important thing. I I always say that, actually, it's a really good thing that our business is about weddings because divorce really wouldn't be good for business. (laughs) optics are not great. (laughs) I was like, this would really be bad for business. We should figure out how to work this out.
0: And that's our next tip, laid out here by Amanda Ripley. You and your partner need to explicitly agree to prioritize your relationship over your work. That's the foundation for everything else. And also, make it explicit when you want your spouse to listen as, well, your spouse and not your coworker Or when you do want to talk shop. Don't let these things go unsaid. Good, open communication. It's a philosophy that can extend to so many parts of your business. It can help you iterate and grow. Take this idea we explored on an episode of Working. When you create an environment that welcomes feedback from everyone, employees, managers, and customers alike, turns out
5: some very cool things can happen. So my name is Monica DeVries, and I have a running store that I own with my husband and called Santa Barbara Running. And then I'm also the co-founder of a men's and women's running performance apparel brand named Rabbit. Rabbit. At the
0: store, Monica found that athletes loved sharing their opinions about the products. Then one day, she got a very specific piece of feedback from one of her customers,
5: Jill Daring. She came to me one day just expressing her frustrations as an athlete with what running apparel options were available to her as a competitor. And I was frustrated as a runner, but also as a running store owner with the options available. And she said, would it be crazy if we started a brand? And I said, absolutely not. (laughs) It's brilliant. Let's do it. So, I mean, really the birth of the brand started from Jill and I, my husband and this local running community, you know, and we, we validated and mined the feedback of the frustrations that we were having as athletes. And across the board, everyone had the same frustration. So we we started making our first prototypes and we prototyped and we prototyped and we prototyped um, until we were happy with the fit and function of the product. And I couldn't even tell you how many rounds we went through. On the, I mean, those first shorts, they were so hard. But yeah, I mean, we just kept testing until we were 100% happy. And now that brand is
0: Rabbit. This magical single moment of customer feedback led Monica and Jill to create a brand together. And that's our next tip. Keep communication and feedback lines open with everyone, but especially with customers. There's a good chance it could lead to exciting innovation. But what about those really uncomfortable communication moments? A tricky one many small business owners face is this. How do you fire a bad employee? It's a question how to host Charles Duhigg tackled with help from Bob Sutton. Bob is a professor of management science at Stanford and the author of books like Good Boss, Bad Boss. In three stages, Bob relayed how leaders need to think about firing, preparation, conversation, and aftermath.
3: One of the things to think about, given how emotional this experience can be, is where to have the conversation. Do not fire the person in a conference room or open space where other people can see them. Bring tissues. People start crying. You don't want to have them just slobbering all over themselves. So bring bring tissues. And it's really funny. (laughs) She said, don't put the box of tissues out so when they walk in they see it. Bring it out later when they start crying.
0: And there's one rule that's especially important. Do not apologize. Here's Charles.
3: You should not say you are sorry, even if you want to. You're not doing the fired employee any favors by apologizing to them. You're just trying to make yourself feel better. You want to be as humane and caring as possible, but don't over-explain. Um, so this notion of sort of letting in doubt, it's really important for that person to have a clear understanding that the decision has been made. And once there's sort of like a crack in the armor, you have two problems one is in the worst case somebody isn't fired who you wanted to be fired they talk you out of it and then and then the other case you kind of just go on and on and on and you potentially create legal problems for yourself and gossip and 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 you're prolonging what is just a terrible experience so my uh my ceo was fired a lot of both women and men says that uh about half of them cry including men and uh i asked her where she looked she said i looked them in the eye I express sympathy and compassion for them, but I was saying, don't you just want to sort of look down and, and let them cry? And her perspective was no, you that's a point where you really have to show human compassion. I thought that was pretty interesting.
0: And that's our final tip. Saying you're sorry can drag out an awful experience for the person you're firing. There are lots of other ways to be a human being and show compassion in that moment that don't involve an apology. And remember, no matter how onerous the task before you, being a human being will always serve you well. And that's it for today's show. It's not easy to start a business. It's not easy to keep it going. But sometimes all you need to get through a tough moment is a little secret sauce. Listeners, we want to hear about the best business advice you've received or given. What are the small business hacks that get you through the bumpy times? Tell us about them in an email. Write to us at secretsauce at slate.com. This episode has been brought to you by Bank of America. It's produced by Emily Cherish and Michelle Siegel, along with Rosemary Belson, Cameron Drews and Jessamine Molly. Ben Richmond is Slate's Senior Director of Podcast Operations. Derek John is Executive Producer of Narrative Podcasts. And Alicia Montgomery is Vice President of Slate Audio. I'm June Thomas. Thanks so much for listening.